Well, you know who I am. Uh, I want to welcome, just take a moment to welcome those of you who came and joined this morning. God bless you. Thank you for your willingness to come alongside of us and offer your gifts to us as you seek to receive our gifts. It is always a good day when new folks come to the family gathering, and that's what we're doing here today. Speaking of family gatherings, I know that you have some family gatherings coming up this week. Thanksgiving is on the horizon. Um, my, uh, uh, my kids take turn coming. To, I, I come a little bit earlier than the rest of my family uh, to church on Sunday morning, so each of my kids take turns coming with me and uh, uh, if they're ready in time. And... Uh, that, that, that requires an act of God some days. And uh, this morning was my middle daughter, Anna. She's six years old. And as we were driving here, she said, Daddy, it looks like everybody has forgotten about Thanksgiving. And that is probably true. So uh, um, we're finishing up a series uh, this morning on... Um, Siri decided to go ahead. There she goes again. Don't say Siri. Uh, everybody, uh, we're, we're finishing up our... Oh, series. Don't you hate technology? <laughs> I loathe technology. And we're finishing up this number of sermons that we're doing on uh, the return of Christ as we're looking at Advent themes. Uh, this Sunday is kind of unique because we're beginning, uh, we're looking at Thanksgiving, uh, we're looking at this return of Christ. We're going to try to put all this together. You don't think I can do it? Buckle up. We're going to get through this. So I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 26. And so as you find that, it's an interesting text to be using for Thanksgiving. Uh, but um, I pray that uh, you'll see where this is going by the end of our message today. So beginning in chapter 26, verse 26 of Matthew. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And are you ready? Verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we have heard your holy and perfect word. And now, O oh God, bless us as we seek your Holy Spirit in understanding and applying that which you are about to teach us today. May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> my favorite Thanksgiving story that you'll probably hear multiple times is when I was in about third grade. My mother was asking my dad what he wanted for Thanksgiving dinner, and dad said, I want goose and oyster dressing. And my mother said, well, wouldn't you rather have, <laughs> brothers, have you ever been there? 
We've all been there, haven't we? Wouldn't you rather have turkey and dressing and cranberry sauce? To which my dad kind of lost it for a moment, and he said, Mary, he always called her Murray, Murray, I don't care what you have. You can have hot dogs if you want. That was the wrong thing to say. Now, as a young kid, I thought that was exciting because I love hot dogs. Because guess what we had for Thanksgiving that year? Hot dogs. Now, after Thanksgiving break was over, I go back to school, and my third grade teacher, Mrs. Ulrich, says, I want everybody in the class to write a little. You remember when you had to write those little short one-page papers? I want you to write a short one-page paper about your Thanksgiving dinner. So I wrote what happened at Thanksgiving. The next day when we got our papers back, you know the little red pen that you hate to see on the report? It said, see me after class. So I go to my Mrs. Ulrich, and she says, what is this? I'm, saying, I'm telling you, Mrs. Ulrich, we had hot dogs for Thanksgiving. Well, that conversation didn't go well. That elicited a note that went home to my mother and then a schedule of a parent-teacher conference where my mother had to come and tell Miss Ulrich, yes, we had hot dogs for Thanksgiving. <laughs> but they were turkey hot dogs. <laughs> now, fam fam family dinners, especially holiday family dinners, Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, these are events that we dread but at the same time, we look forward to them. The problem is, is that all the hype of how wonderful these events ought to be never really lives up to the hype. Now, who actually sits all on one side of the table <laughs> with plates that are millimeters from each other? No one does that. And then, of course, there's these pictures of Thanksgiving where you have everybody who is perfectly dressed, perfectly made up after they have slaved all day in a hot kitchen over a hot stove. This is not real. And then, of course, one of my favorite shows on the planet, Blue Bloods. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, this is wonderful, but completely and utterly unbelievable. Why? Because what family sits at a table together and discusses divisive political issues and agrees to agree, disagree agreeably does not happen. This isn't real, but it's what we aspire to. And then, of course, one of my wife's favorite shows, Downton Abbey. Uh, my favorite line is when the Dow just asks, what is a weekend? Yes. The only show that I really like, the only movie that I really love is <laughs> Christmas Vacation. At least this movie pays tribute to the chaos that we all understand at family gatherings. But really, growing up in my own home uh, as a child, and frankly as an adult, this is really more like what our family celebrations are like. Everybody around the table and my wife, Shauna, serving all of the guests, all of the children. Okay, well, maybe me too. But she never, ever sits down for a meal. You probably experienced some of that as well. Now, many of you will be gathering with family and friends this coming week. And really, the only advice that I can give to you is you just go into it with a positive attitude. That's really all I can tell you. 
Perhaps another bit of uh, suggestions that I can say to you is, is that when your conservative brother-in-law begins to debate with your niece, who's a college sophomore and now a freshly minted enlightened socialist, <laughs> my recommendation is just go check to see what the score of the game is. Now, although Thanksgiving is technically a national holiday, it is near and dear to those of us who are Christians because we too celebrate a Thanksgiving every single Sunday. Now, we call it by different names. Sometimes we call it the Lord's Supper. Other times it's called Holy Communion. That's in the real wealthier Christian churches. There are those who prefer Bible names for Bible events, and they go to the book of Acts, and they see that in the book of Acts, this is called the breaking of bread, the service of the breaking of bread. Or perhaps you might have heard, if you come from other churches, the term the Eucharist as a word used for this. You know, the irony is, is, is that of all the words that are used in the Bible, the word Eucharist is used the most times to celebrate this. The problem is, is that we don't uh, really understand that the word Eucharist is really the Greek word for thanksgiving or to give thanks. We are celebrating a thanksgiving, a Eucharista, a Eucharist, every time we come to this table. Now, artists throughout the centuries <clears throat> have tried to capture the power of this moment. This is Karl Bloch's late 19th century version with Judas skulking away from the table while the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, the Eucharist, is being celebrated. This is always a debate among folks in Bible study. Did Judas receive the Lord's Supper before he <coughs> betrayed Jesus, or did he receive it at all? Karl Bloch says he didn't receive it at all. There's another artist, Tintoretto, one of my favorite artists. This is he, he did actually several paintings of the Lord's Supper. This is one of them. But this is the most popular version of the Lord's Supper. I can remember the day this went up on the screen in art history class at the University of Lynchburg. Everybody in the class sort of gasped. This isn't the usual kind of setting we think of when we think of the Lord's Supper. I mean, after all, what we have here is people scurrying around, uh, dogs eating scraps from the table, spirits filling the room, Frankly, I love it. One of the reasons is, is that the chaos of it is really more like the chaos of our own family and friend gatherings for Thanksgiving. But we would be remiss if we did not think of the most famous depiction of the Lord's Supper by da Vinci in Milan, originally on a wall in a cafeteria, would throughout the centuries be used as a stable, and again, as a church and a tourist trap, I mean a place for tourists to go. And it's this image, which first of all is unbelievable. Again, who sits all on one side of the table? And yet it has influenced even our understanding in popular art and popular culture. You got Emperor Palpatine there in the middle. Darth Vader, ironically, in the place of Judas. Now, we could have a lesson about that, couldn't we? I know some of you are thinking that I just committed heresy. Now, as we conclude our focus on the return of Christ in this couple of week series, 
we need to remember that the Hebrews understood the last days as a great feast. The idea of a great feast is in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike. As a matter of fact, if you go and you read some of the ancient writings of rabbis, Jewish teachers, one rabbi writes, The Lord will recline at the table, the patriarchs and the righteous at his feast, and they will again eat in Eden. In another ancient Jewish compilation, we read, At the last coming, the Lord will lead out Adam and the patriarchs and bring them into Eden that they may rejoice. Eden, that image of creation restored to the very glory of the moments, the creation in Genesis chapter 1. Feasting and fellowship are all marks of God's original created order and will be the reality of his coming. Now, when we started this series several weeks ago, we started with Isaiah. You might remember this when we talked about Isaiah teaches us about the mountain of the Lord. Remember the importance of the mountain. Mountains are where God meets us. And on the mountain, Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, where the temple was built, was where Christ will come again. The Lord on this mountain, Isaiah writes, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast. Isaiah goes on and tells us more about this feast, a feast of rich food, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Pay attention to that. Don't forget that word. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. If you're making notes, that's Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 8. You might want to go back and read the whole of that chapter. Even in the Psalms, the psalmist talks repeatedly about the great feast. In Psalm 116, there's the image of raising the cup as a way to honor the Lord. That act of respect, that, that, that act of gratefulness is something that we still use today when we raise our cup to honor the host or hostess of the meal to which we have been invited. Jesus taught about the kingdom of God using the great banquet. Just a few chapters before in the gospel lesson that I read to you today, in Matthew chapter 22, if you have your Bibles or on your phones, I encourage you to turn to it, Matthew chapter 22, verses 2 through 14. Jesus is teaching about his return. He's teaching about it based on the image of a great banquet, a meal of thanksgiving. He writes, or he says, as Matthew writes, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but none would come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. And they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, another to a Broncos game, another to shopping, another to the mountains. While the rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Verse 7, the king was angry. And he sent his troops 
and destroy those murderers and burn their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Verse 9, go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. See, foreshadowing with the church. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. When you and I can begin to understand this feast as a sign of Jesus' coming, it is a lesson of both the sobering gravity and the potential joy of the return of Christ. Now, this isn't the only time that this image of the Feast of Thanksgiving is used in the Bible, in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus speaks of his return as a master coming to a feast and his servants not being ready. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus tells us that people from the east and the west, the north and the south are invited to the feast. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus speaks of his return as a huge marriage feast where half of the brides are not prepared. They're not ready. One of my favorite verses in Scripture, I assign to you that you may eat and drink at my table. Have you ever been invited to a dinner or a gathering, and you said to yourself, I'd rather go get a root canal. Have you ever invited somebody to a dinner or a gathering? And remember when they didn't come, how you felt. When your son or your daughter couldn't make it home for the holidays that year. Or your brother and sister wasn't talking to you that year, and so they chose not to come. When friends that you were hoping would be able to be there chose not to come. Now, if you're not starting to draw the comparison here yet with what I have been trying to do gently, that is is calling us to consider the Lord's Supper. This Thanksgiving, this Eucharista, as a foreshadowing of what it means to be a people who look to the return of Christ, let me be clear now. This idea of Christ's eventual return, his triumphant return, isn't something that we're called to think about just once or twice a year. It isn't something that we're even called to think about once a week. It's something that we're called to consider every day, every moment of every day. That is, is that we are called to live our lives in the hopeful expectation that today will be the day that Christ will come. The return of Christ, the Bible says, will be a great banquet. In just a moment, I'm going to go to Revelation chapter 19, if you want to flip over there. And in the last couple of chapters of the book of Revelation, John, as he's recording this, begins to describe what the day of Christ's return will look like, what it will sound like, what it will smell like. This past week, my, two of my three, our three children were asking me, Daddy, what's, the, what's, the, what's heaven like? And as I began to explain all of the biblical definitions and the biblical description of what's heaven's like, they started to get a little bored. 
until I mentioned it's like a great banquet. My, eye, my son's eyes got big as saucers. He's a chip off the old block. And chapter 19 of Revelation, John, the writer, describes what he hears, what he sees. He says, he hears, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. In verse 1 of chapter 19, that's, in, in verse 3 of chapter 19, John tells us about the smoke, which throughout the book of Revelation is almost always correlated with the incense that is being burned in that great throne room of the kingdom of heaven. Incense almost always being connected to the prayers of the saints, the prayers of God's people that billow up the aroma being pleasing to God. And then in verse 9, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Each week, you and I are invited to the Lord's Supper, a foreshadowing of the marriage feast, a feast whose effects are outlined in Revelation chapter 21, verses 2 through 4. John writes, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with humans. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Are you ready? Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Does that sound familiar? Remember, when we began this message, I read to you from Isaiah chapter 25. Let me just remind you of it. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. Are you ready? And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. You see, the scriptures have come full circle. The big story, the big narrative, the meta-narrative of the Bible is clear. The prophecies of Isaiah have been fulfilled. The scriptures finally declare the full victory of Jesus Christ, his kingdom established forever and ever. All right. So what's the takeaway from today? Well, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, the breaking of bread, the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving meal, looks backward to the death of Christ, to the present as communion with the living Christ and with each other, and the future of the promise of eternal life. Now, I think we do probably a pretty good job here reminding you when we celebrate this, the Thanksgiving meal, the Lord's Supper, that we are to remember the death of Christ and his resurrection. I think we do a pretty good job here reminding you that this is a celebration 
that we are in communion with Christ who invites us and with one another, with all Christians throughout the world. But what I think we have too often failed to remind you, and I take full responsibility for that, is that this supper looks to the promise of eternal life. This supper looks to the hope of Christ's return. This supper is just the prelude, the forward, the preface of the marriage feast, our feast, a feast that each of us has been invited to by name, a feast to which you and I are honored guests as the host lifts the bread and blesses the cup. Feast. Did you know that there's a lot of words that are used to describe celebrations and holidays of the Christian faith that aren't really the words the church uses to describe it? So, for example, the holiday that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, we call it Easter, right? But that's not what the church calls it. The name the church gives to that is, are you ready? The feast day of the resurrection. In just a few weeks, Pastor Joe already told us, four short weeks from now, one month from now, we'll celebrate Christmas. But Christmas is not the name the church has given to that holiday. The holiday that the church named it was the feast day of the nativity. Even those who have been faithful or been martyrs for the sake of the gospel, the days upon which we remember their death for the sake of the gospel, not their birth. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about that. We call those feast days as well. So, for example, it's not St. Patrick's Day. It's the feast day of St. Patrick or the feast day of St. Andrew or one of my favorites, the feast day of St. Nicholas. By the way, that's December 6th. It's coming up. The feast is always a reminder to those of us who are in the church that we are to be looking forward to Christ's coming. When the final and the eternal feast will be here, the marriage feast, the feast of his return. Now this is the ultimate Thanksgiving dinner. The final gathering. When all of the family of God come together to receive. And the text that was read to you today, when Jesus is instituting, when he is ex uh, describing and explaining what the Lord's Supper is to be, he ends that with these words. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to the day when Christ comes again to share the feast with us, to say to you, to say to me, let us share the cup together. That's what we're about to do, brothers and sisters. A feast at which Christ will not receive today, and yet at the same time, a feast that 
where we will meet Jesus. Almighty God, we thank you for the feasts that you are preparing for us. And we thank you for the little feasts along the way as we look forward to the return of your son, Jesus Christ. Today, as we prepare to come to your table, as we prepare to receive this little feast, looking forward to the great banquet, meet us, speak our names, and remind us of the invitation you gave to us the day you bore the weight of our brokenness on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.